When it comes to diabetes technology and its efficacy during pregnancy, you'd be surprised by how few official trials have been conducted to study this. Until recently, today my guest and I are talking about two studies in regards to just that. The first is a study on the accuracy of continuous glucose monitors, specifically the Dexcom G6 and G7, during pregnancy for those with type 1, 2, or gestational diabetes. The next is known as ADAPT, a randomized controlled trial examining the efficacy of automated insulin delivery amongst pregnant women with type 1 diabetes. Welcome to Diabetech. I'm Justin. I have type 1 diabetes. And on this show, I talk all things diabetes tech, news, and management with industry leaders, educators, and those thriving with diabetes. Today's guest, Steffi Guerra, comes from across the pond in Edinburgh, Scotland. She is Dexcom's Director of Scientific Affairs and supports all investigator-initiated research in Europe. She has had the privilege of supporting ADAPT, that automated insulin trial we're covering, and a few larger randomized control trials, demonstrating the benefits of technology for people with diabetes. We get into these two studies, their results, why it's taken so long to get here, and the ongoing research in the works. New podcasts release every Monday on all podcast platforms and on YouTube, so be sure to follow wherever you prefer. And if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to give this video a like if you enjoy it because it helps other people see it. And if you're on podcast platforms and want to review it, go for it. Unless it's a bad review, then just skip it. Keep in mind that anything you hear on this podcast or content on any of my pages is not medical advice. Always consult with your physician before making changes to your healthcare. Now, a quick word from our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by T1D Exchange. You can directly make an impact on diabetes healthcare, treatments, and technology by participating in the T1D Exchange registry. It starts with a simple survey about your life with T1D and it only takes about 15 minutes. After that, you'll have a personal portal with ongoing T1D study and survey opportunities from research on technology, daily T1D management, and more. Plus, some of these studies even offer compensation. Signing up with the link in the show notes helps support my channel and it allows me to continue putting out free content. You can sign up at t1dexchange.com org slash diabetic or click that link in today's show notes. Now for the episode. Steffi, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I was saying just before we started recording that I really don't have much experience in this area of pregnancy. Uh, I got the diabetes part down, but yeah. the most experience <laughs> I have recently would be my sister who just had a baby which was incredible. <laughs> incredible. Yes, it's an incredible time uh, in any case, if it's a healthy pregnancy or a pregnancy complicated by diabetes. So there, it's, a, it's a complicated time, uh, metabolically speaking. Yeah. And what I find so interesting is, you know, these new studies have come out and that's why we're talking today. Mm -hmm. And as someone who I was just diagnosed a couple of years ago and I was you know, introduced with all this technology that just, you know, for the most part works very well. And I didn't realize that there was a limit on the studies and the information that we had when it comes to diabetes technology and pregnancy. And uh, that's why I'm looking forward to this conversation. First, I want to kind of set the stage. How new is the use of continuous glucose monitors during pregnancy? 
It's fairly new. So Dexcom got an approval for using pregnancy in Europe with the G6 and now in the US with the G7 device. So it's fairly recent, I would say five, six years of experience and a slow adoption, of course, because the evidence base for the use of CGM in pregnancy is a bit thin uh, or was a bit thin. Now we're catching up with the with the evidence, of course. Um, and but it's picking up, uh, especially out here in in Europe. There have been a couple large studies not done with Dexcom devices. There's the concept trial. That's the first um study that looked at the benefits of CGM in uh, pregnancy complicated by type 1 diabetes. So that's um, a, a very uh, interesting study that showed improved uh, outcomes, neonatal outcomes, improved HbA1c during pregnancy. So very successful study. And now we're catching up also with the rest of the technology, which is the um, automated insulin delivery and closed loop for type 1. So, so for someone who had type one and was routinely using a continuous glucose monitor mm-hmm. and then they became pregnant, did they, you know, let's say this was six years ago, did they just mm-hmm. stop using a CGM because it wasn't necessarily going to be accurate or did they just continue use and hope for the best? Well, technically the use of the device during pregnancy was off-label for Dexcom um, okay. up until uh, in Europe, up until G6, and in the US up until G7. Now, what people do routinely, it's a different story. They were Many people were using it off-label. Now, the question you ask is about accuracy, which is an interesting one. Um, the reason why we uh, didn't have um, an indication for using pregnancy is because our devices were tested for approval. So our pivotal trials were done in people who were not pregnant. And this is quite common. Uh, the involvement of pregnant women in research is not as um, extensive as for people without uh, who are not pregnant. And this... This is true for all, all treatment, I would say. And there's, um, things are changing. Um, up until recently, pregnancy was con- considered, or pregnant women were considered part of a vulnerable population. Now we tend to think about them as scientifically complex rather than vulnerable. These are ethical distinctions. But care needs to be used when we are um, you know, involving pregnant women in a trial because there are ethical considerations that are, of course, a bit more nuanced than um, a, a, a non-pregnant individual. Yeah. Why is it so difficult or, or why would you say it's taken so long to get this information, the, these studies on pregnancy? Well, um, as I mentioned, pregnant women were considered vulnerable in a sense up until recently. Now um, things are changing, but the regulations to run a study in women who are pregnant are a bit more um, stringent, I would say. And there is also a tendency from the IRBs, so the those bodies that approve studies from an ethical standpoint, to be a bit more on the conservative side, because there are concerns about, you know, the um, there's fear of harm for the fetus when you're trying uh, a technology that has never been tested before. Um, there 
there's the the threat of legal liability uh, if something was to mm-hmm. happen. There's the the whole um, area of how complicated of the physiology of a woman who is pregnant actually is. So we're talking about a complex state, metabolically speaking. So um, we just don't know enough. And there's this fear of harm that makes it um, easy to be very conservative. And up until recently, there was the presumption of exclusion, let's say. So um, we, we would consider pregnant women to be excluded a priori from studies, mm-hmm. whereas now there is, uh, we're becoming a bit more open. Uh, there are still all the ethical considerations that need to be uh, done, of course, as they would for any other individual involved in a study. Um, but now there's, um, there's also this understanding that not including certain populations in study may raise other ethical issues. So for example, they may be undertreated because there is no evidence based for the use of technology. So it's a nuanced, balanced conversation that needs to happen with the IRBs or the ethics committees, uh, as we call them out here on this side of the pond. Yeah. And were there or are there any factors during pregnancy that can affect CGM levels? Like, did did CGMs need to get to where they are today? Yeah, the accuracy. now, now we know that CGMs are accurate during pregnancy, so the, the studies have been uh, run. Now, when we talk about accuracy of CGM, we need to be quite mindful of how a proper study needs to be conducted to make sure that we understand accuracy. And that's why it was a bit tricky to run studies in these populations, because um, to have a proper, well-designed study for accuracy, you should be Um, spanning the whole glucose range. So you need to make sure that you have enough data in hypoglycemia, in euglycemia, and in hyperglycemia. So what tends to happen is that uh, the study participant comes to the clinic. They have either a delayed bolus or um, they they don't receive their breakfast immediately so that they're driven to hypo or and hyperglycemia so that we can understand how um, sensors behave in different ranges. Now, if you think of doing that with a woman who's pregnant, there is fear of harm in this case, of course, right? Because you're not only affecting mom, but there there is also a, a baby in the womb that is um, growing. So in this case, we don't span the whole range, but we have sufficient data to still show that our sensors are accurate during pregnancy and they're safe to use for women and women can take medical decisions. So we're, we're approved for non-adjunctive use during pregnancy. It's okay. running an accuracy study is quite yeah. a complex endeavor and, and you need to be very mindful of what you're doing to have appropriate data to show accuracy and consistency of accuracy through different days and different ranges and so on. Yeah. You know, th- this question just popped in my head. It's not on my list, but if 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 the woman who's pregnant has a hypo or a hyper, does the does the baby also have that and experience like if there may be a well, certain growth, like are they feeling that? This is a very tricky question. Uh, are they <laughs> feeling that? Um, I don't think we know how to test yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, you know, you have a system of mom and baby that is in, in equilibrium. So we know that the baby pulls glucose from mom 
to grow. We know that there is a state of insulin resistance, especially in the third trimester, that promotes the, the, this transfer of glucose to the baby. Um, the placenta uh, generates and, and secretes hormones. Uh, the baby at a certain point will start generating and secreting its own um, hormones. So it's a it's an equilibrium um, yeah. that that is quite um, quite tricky to to maintain. We know that hyperglycemia can be um, um, can be dangerous for the development of the baby, for example, in, in several ways. Uh, we know that, for example, having a, a high HbA1c when you enter a pregnancy is associated with a higher risk for um, congenital abnormalities. So there are um, reasons why having a tight glucose control for mom is super important, not only for mom, but also for the, the correct development of the baby. There are complications that can occur both for the baby and mom if there's a state of sustained hyperglycemia during pregnancy. Okay. And so the, the Dexcom CGM is approved, um, well, the G6 Europe, G7 in, in the U.S., it's we also have G7 for, in Europe, midwife. And G, okay, I was okay. G7 in Europe yeah. also. It's approved for T1, type one, type two, and gestational diabetes. That's correct. I I have a pretty good understanding. I think my listeners of type one, type yeah. two, gestational diabetes, though. I what is it? Still don't. Yeah, I don't have a great understanding of it. Can you explain that to us? Sure, sure. So. If we start from a healthy pregnancy, there are changes in the metabolic state of a mom, even in a healthy pregnancy. There is a state of insulin resistance, as we said earlier, that promotes the, the transfer of glucose to uh, the baby so that the baby can, can grow. Now, gestational diabetes is a, is a condition that arises during pregnancy that is associated with hyperglycemia. So some women develop a diabetes um, uh, condition that lasts during pregnancy, so they have a abnormal insulin resistance, I would say, that can be treated, can be treated with diet, with exercise, or in some cases with insulin. But this state of diabetes is resolved at birth. So after birth, these women have normal glucose tolerance. Now, if you have, if you are diagnosed with gestational diabetes, there is an increased likelihood for you to develop type 2 diabetes in the future, or to have a second pregnancy, for example, where you will have, you might be at higher risk for having gestational diabetes again. But basically, the difference is that it's a condition of diabetes that is, it's first observed during pregnancy and generally resolves at birth, with the birth of the, of the baby. Wow. Okay. Now I want to get into this specific clinical trial that sure. Dexcom was a part of. So at this year's EASD, there was a study that showed that the Dexcom G7 is accurate overall during pregnancy, uh, during all sensor wear days and glucose ranges for those three different types of diabetes. Yes. Can you tell us more about this study and kind of what the parameters were? Well, that's a, um, an accuracy study. So generally when we okay. do accuracy studies, we uh, measure um, the so-called MART, which is a mean average relative difference, which is a way to understand how distance my glucose, my CGM values are from a lab reference. Generally speaking, the lower the MART, 
the better. It means that the difference between the lab and the CGM is, is not that big. But that is just one metric. When we talk about accuracy studies, we also measure other parameters. There's percentage 2020, percentage 1515. We have um, the accuracy in different um, ranges. So in euglycemia and hyperglycemia. So we just isolate those pairs of lab reference and CGM that are in the normal range, in hyper, in hyper, and we see how different we are in these ranges. And these combination of metrics give us, gives us an understanding of how sensors behave throughout the ranges and through the days and so on. So the MART gives you a, a simple value to give you a ballpark of where the accuracy is. So the lower the mark, generally, the better. But because of some of the way the, the mark is mathematically defined, and I'm not going to bore anyone with maths mm -hmm. today, if you have fewer um, values in the hypoglycemic range, you can reduce your mark. So the mark is not the whole story. To have the whole story, you need to understand the accuracy in different ranges. So there's different metrics, as we said, the percentage 2020, the uh, MAD in hypoglycemia. So what we do when we try to understand if, if a sensor is accurate is we look at several parameters that, give a, that can give us the old story. Does that okay. clarify a bit more? Yeah, yeah. Um, how long did it take to perform all of that? Oh, I, I need to look back there. Um, generally, they're quite speedy once you start. Uh, it's okay. a bit more difficult to recruit uh, pregnant women, of yeah. course, um, in a study. Um, but the, the accuracy study per se, it's usually um, one sensor wear. So the patient comes to the clinic in one of um, three sessions. So it, it could be on day one, on day three, on day seven, or day 10. Okay. Because we want to understand how sensors behave in different um, in, in, in different uh, days, so it's not like a six month study for for the single participant. Okay, and was this accuracy accuracy study a direct reason for why it is now approved, or did the approval come before? And if so, and if so, like how was the how did the approval happen? So I'm not I'm not a, a regulatory affairs specialist. Okay. So it, it is quite complex to um, to get um, approval for for devices, and it's different in Europe and in the US. Like in Europe, we have CE mark. In the US, you have FDA approval. Um, so in Europe, we didn't have a specific study in pregnancy, but there, there was sufficient. Uh, accuracy data in other individuals that we got approval. Now, these are delicate conversations and there is a bunch of, you know, conversations that happen with the FDA uh, to understand what data is required. Okay. What was your involvement in this study? Well, in this specific study, this study was an accuracy study done in the U.S., so I, I was not personally involved. Okay. In... Um, 
Europe, we uh, support mostly uh, investigator-initiated studies. For example, the um, automated insulin delivery study that was also presented at EASD by Professor Helen Murphy. So we tend to do more uh, post-market studies out here. So with devices that are approved um, or already in the market to show the clinical benefit rather than the accuracy. So it's two different categories, okay. really. Okay, and, and let's get into that automated insulin delivery study. First, before we talk about that, up until recently, what has been the usage of AIDs, automated systems, for pregnancy? How long has, have they been used for a while, or is this kind of new? It's it is kind of new. There was um, some some um, some pumps were approved for using pregnancy, but really closed loop was not really um, used. And if it was used, it was used um, basically off label. Um, I, I believe there is other brands that and, and other companies that have um, approval for uh, um, pregnancy at least for the pump, but. This study um, conducted by Professor Helen Murphy in the UK, this was the first large randomized controlled trials looking at assessing the, um, the benefit of hybrid closed loop in pregnancy over standard of care, which out here in, um, in England is CGM standalone. So this was a randomized controlled trial, really solid design, and, and really proved uh, that using hyperclosed loop in pregnancy is beneficial in terms of increasing time and range and with some signal in improvement in neonatal outcomes. The, the study was conducted with the Dexcom G6, the Dana pump, Dana RS, and the Cambridge APS FX uh, closed loop um, algorithm, which is approved for use in pregnancy out here. So the approval came before the trial in that case for the algorithm. Okay. And does the approval, uh, you're using a lot of pumps or a lot of pumps were used, the pump and the algorithm are being used from Europe. Does this study also include the US? No, this was just okay. a, a European study. Okay. Now, will the results be generalizable to the US? So will, can you use this um, evidence in the future to support um, the use or the reimbursement, for example, of hybrid closed loop in the U.S.? Probably yes. Uh, there are differences, of course, in the healthcare systems and in how women are, are, uh, are treated. The algorithms will have FDA approval. You will be able to inform, for example, women about this study and about how women in England were able to get better results with this system, with its G6, the Dana pump, and the Cambridge algorithm. But the study itself was conducted just in the UK. Yeah, I mean, this just seems kind of groundbreaking to me that all of this, that all of this stuff is coming out now. <laughs> it also just feels like it's taken way too long. And I feel like <sighs> I've heard throughout my years that just women's health in general, there's not as much information and money put into it. And, and I, you know, I'm glad we're here. I know there's probably a long way to go, but it's great that this, you know, uh, absolutely. A <laughs> lot happened. has been, a lot has been done to make sure that uh, women are equally represented in research. 
as men. Uh, and I would go even further, if I'm honest, because, yes, including women is one thing, including pregnant women is another thing. If we start considering other factors like social background, ethnicity, um, different uh, women who live in rural areas versus big cities, there's a huge equity issue here. So we are getting much better now at including people from different backgrounds to make sure that the data we produce with our studies are generalizable to a broader population. We need to make sure that the, the data that is generated can benefit everybody. And un unfortunately, so far, some populations have been um, privileged in that there is a lot more evidence generated with patients that look like them. And we yeah. need to expand this. We're getting much better now. And more and more trials are reporting a good breakdown of ethnicity, social background, education, all factors that we think might influence outcomes. Um, yeah. We're not there yet, but we're getting better. Yeah, yeah, that's very well said. Uh, I was reading this study a little bit, and the the study, the problem that they that they were focused on was that quote most pregnant persons don't have glucose in um, in the pregnancy specific glucose target range. Um, do you know what that percentage is like, or that time and range overall, kind of prior to these closed loop systems looked like? So it's um, this is a tricky question because we are in a in in a phase of transition. So to me, there is a pre CGM era mm -hmm. where uh, I would argue that there was no woman who had seventy percent time in range. But we can't know because we couldn't even measure that. It wasn't even a thing time in range. Yeah. Now more and more CGM is becoming the standard of care. For example, there was a, an audit just came out, uh, the, the results just came out, an audit from English data where women who were pregnant were off with type 1 were offered a CGM. And that shows that we are getting closer to target. So in theory, we would like women to get at least 70% time in tight target. Tight target meaning um, it, it's a much stricter target than what you're used, for example. Um, your target is 70 to 180. For women who are pregnant, we're talking about 64, 65 to 140. So they need to have 70% of their time in there. Now, with, wow. with, the, with the ADAP trial, what they, they, they were able to show is that with hybrid closed loop, that target is reachable. There are women who are able to get there. So it's... You need technology because managing everything on your own, it's hard, as you know. Every day is different from the next. There are so many things that happen. And imagine having to manage all of what you normally do while also having a, a little baby inside you that is uh, sucking up your glucose and producing all hormones and creating an, a hormonal mess. So technology is crucial. It helps. Mm -hmm. And there, uh, I had the, the privilege and the honor to, to talk with a couple study participants of the ADAP trials. And the way they talk about how technology has transformed the way they lived their pregnancies is 
it's incredible. It, it makes everything worth it, all the work we do, because they said, I was able to focus on being pregnant rather than managing my diabetes. I could delegate some of that work to this wonderful thing that is hybrid closed loop, and I could actually enjoy this wonderful uh, time in my life that is my pregnancy. So absolutely uh, phenomenal to hear. So getting there, getting there. Yeah, that's, that's really sweet to hear. And I'm really happy to hear that, you know, that these, that it really transformed these people's lives. I, I mean, it's helped me in so many ways. It's helped listeners in so many ways. It's a sec, it's a full-time job managing yep. a pancreas and, adding yeah, multiple yeah. levels of I have work and then, Oh, I'm pregnant. I'm managing another life inside me. Like, yeah, exactly. That's a, exactly. that's a lot. <laughs> that's there's a lot never a good, there, there's never a good time for a diagnosis. It's always a shock. It's always, you know, complex and it, it can, uh, it can be heartbreaking. I mean, you, you've gone through it yourself, but now at least we can say, okay, let's relax. There are things we can do. There are things that will help you in this journey. And you can manage. You can, and it's so good to be able to delegate some of that to, um, to machines that are intelligent in a way. Yeah. Um, were there specific numbers that came out regarding time and range? And, and were those compared? Was there a control group in this study yeah, also? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This was a randomized control trial. Uh, okay. Maybe I should, have, I should have said it from the start. So <laughs> we, there were 124 women that were randomized to either receiving CGM standalone or CGM with a pump and the Cambridge APS effects. And they, they received their intervention at about 10 weeks. So as soon as they knew they were pregnant. Now, um, at the end of the trial, the difference in time and range between the two groups was of 10, 10 percentage points, which is enormous. It's really, really big. So it means that women who were in closed loop spent on average 10.5% more in range with respect to women on standalone. Wow. But mind you, the, we're talking about timing tight targets, so 63 to 140 milligram per deciliter. Women in starting adult care, so on CGM standalone, had 55.6% timing range, which is not bad. It's much better than what they were used to with, with this MBG. And with closed loop, they got to 68.2% timing tight target. And yeah, in, at in baseline, a tight target. Tight target, yes, which is quite phenomenal. The, the interesting thing to me about this trial, and, and that's why it's so exciting, is that the increasing time in range from baseline, a baseline, uh, all women were about 47, 44% time in range, time in tight target. The increase was immediate. From week 8 to 12, so from, from baseline, you see that the closed loop immediately allows you to have 65 plus percent time in range. And this is notoriously difficult to achieve. 
in all the pregnancy studies, you see that it's women really struggle in the first couple um, trimesters. Then they tend to get better, at least for HbA1c, for example. This study shows an immediate effect of hybrid closed loop, immediate improvement in timing range. This is phenomenal. And this will really revolutionize how women with type 1 live their pregnancies. And, it, and it, it's phenomenal news for women with type 1. Yeah, that's great. Um, do you think that there could be or should be an algorithm that's specifically for people who are pregnant? Absolutely. So the Cambridge APSFX is the algorithm that is approved for for everybody. So it's the same algorithm for um, healthy men in their 20s and uh, pregnant women, right? So and even with this, the fact that it has a very, um, you, you can set your target quite low, which is crucial in pregnancy, allow women to have these great results. Now, I'm aware of uh, at least one trial where they are um, assessing um, an algorithm that it was developed specifically for uh, women who are pregnant. So looking forward to seeing the results of that. I think it will be uh, fantastic to be able to have something that is specific and tailored for this, for, for this time of life. Wow. That's cool. Um, I want to learn more about that for sure. I'm going to, as soon as the data is out that later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> You mentioned this earlier that there's a lot more work to do and, and we are doing more work on research. Do you know of any specific studies that are going on now in, in this there, area? There's a few um, studies. So, of course, now we know that CGM can benefit um, women with type 1 who are pregnant. But of course, we talked about uh, type 2 diabetes and we talked about gestational diabetes. So there are a couple studies that are currently uh, running to show that CGM, with the hope to show that CGM can benefit women with uh, gestational diabetes. There's a couple um, studies in Europe, large randomized controlled trials. Um, and of course, we need to consider also type 2. Because, um, you know, women fall pregnant a bit later in life now. People are getting a bit heavier, so there's an obesity problem. People are getting diagnosed with type 2 diabetes earlier. And these pregnancies are quite complicated. So if you have um, a condition of type 2, so you tend to have high in insulin resistance and complicated um, uh, metabolic state, adding to that the insulin resistance from a pregnancy makes the whole management of glucose quite complex for type 2 women, plus the fact that they can be um, overweight, it can lead to complications. So it's a population that is, um, again, uh, at risk. We don't have a lot of evidence yet for that. So I'm hopeful that there will be more studies in, in pregnancy complicated by type 2. In the meantime, we have a few studies running on in gestational diabetes. Are there people who kind of dip into type two as they're pregnant and then c come out of it? Is there, is it possible to find a distinction between gestational diabetes and type two? Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does make sense. So um, sometimes a woman is first diagnosed with type two diabetes during pregnancy. In truth, you only really know if it's a type two 
um, if, if the, the condition doesn't resolve after um, after birth. But if if glucose values are really really out of control, sometimes those patients are treated as if they have uh, are as having type two rather than gestational. Um, so it can be that sometimes you have a pregnancy and you, you just discover at that point that you have uh, indeed type 2 diabetes. Also with gestational diabetes, the, um, as we said earlier, um, there was a, a large study called the HAPO study where they associated hyperglycemia with complications and also they did a follow-up study showing that have gestational diabetes, you're more likely to have glucose intolerance down the road, you're more likely to develop type 2 diabetes, and not only that, the offspring of gestational diabetes mom are more likely to have glucose intolerance or glucose tolerance impairments when they're adolescents. So it's a tricky condition that that affects two individuals, not only in the moment, but really down the line. Yeah, and how do you think diabetes technology can become better for those who are pregnant? We kind of touched on the algorithm a bit. Is there anything else? Yeah, I, I, I think we can do a lot to improve um, the visualization of the data, make, making the data more um, suited for, for example, a week-to-week um, uh, view rather than uh, you know, having three months, um, giving insights on, you know, that are pregnancy specific um, on what your data means, helping keeping that tight target, uh, changing the target on your on your app, but but really helping women um, interpret the data. And again, I think if you have type one and you're pregnant, you should be offered um, a hybrid closed loop at this point because the evidence is there and it's so staggering, so much uh, that the outcomes are so much better. Yeah. I think the more people on automated systems, the better. And the fact that all this information has come out and, and, and again, it's proven. Um, hybrid closed loops are there. We have approved systems now. They're not for everybody. Some people may prefer a pen and that's absolutely fine. If somebody manages their glucose fine with a pen, they should be allowed to do it. In, in some situations, high-risk patients uh, where that extra help might be needed, um, I think it's only fair to offer that, that option to, to patients. The patients must have choice in the end because you live with your diabetes, you know your diabetes, you know what works for you, and there's no one-size-fits-all. Yeah, and I mean pending insurance things with, at least in the U S I would hope that people who are pregnant have the option at least to use a pump with closed loop during the pregnancy. And then if they want to go back to MDI multiple daily injections after that, they could do so. And yep. um, that would be something nice to see too. For, for the moment, I, I believe you have to wait a little bit longer in the U.S. because yeah. um, of the regulatory you know, limitations for the moment. Yeah. The, the uh, algorithm is, is approved in Europe. Okay. So hang in there. It will come. It will, uh, it will get approval in the U.S. as well. And hopefully um, okay. you will be able to have choice as well. Yeah. And for my European listeners, what pumps are currently available to them to use closed loop? So 
if we're talking about the ADAP trial and the results yeah. or, uh, and for what device these uh, results are applicable. So the study was conducted with the DANA uh, RS, uh, RS pump, the Dexcom G6, and the Cambridge APS-FX. Now, the algorithm, the Cambridge APS-FX, is approved for use in pregnancy. So um, the, the algorithm is available on the IPSO pump for example, and it's connected with um, the Dexcom G6 for the moment. It's connected with the Libre 3. It will be soon connected with the uh, G7. I don't have a timeline for that for the moment. It's coming yeah. soon. But the algorithm is the Cambridge APS FX with the Ipso pump and the Dana pump for the moment. I plan to have someone come on the show soon to talk about their experience with the Ipso Med and the Cam APS. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I don't That's fully the, know a ton. Yeah, the Cambridge APSFX was is the um, algorithm that was developed by okay. Professor Roman Hovorka at University yeah. of Cambridge. It's the work of uh, a, a lifetime, I would say. So I remember we were doing trials in 2009 uh, and with the old platforms. So he has dedicated his life to developing algorithms for people with diabetes. So uh, it's wow. a great testament of his work. Yeah, that's fantastic. Before we go, is there anything that we didn't cover that you want to tell us about? No, I'm, I'm just so happy for women with diabetes who now have options. And, and there's, yeah. uh, there's a lot of hope, a lot of excitement and opportunities to have healthy pregnancies where they can be, you know, women first and patients next. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So. Yeah. Steffi, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, this was just such a wonderful interview and, and conversation. And I'm, I'm happy to see that, you know, we're moving forward and, and pregnancy can, you know, become a less intimidating thing for people who, either have yeah. type one, type two, or I guess are prone to gestational diabetes. So absolutely. Thank absolutely. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. On next week's episode, I'm speaking with Melinda Strauss. She is a type one who has two children. We're getting into her pregnancy experience at a time when CGM technology didn't exist. It's a great conversation and I'm very excited for you to hear it. Once that's up, I'll throw the video in today's show notes of this episode. Also, down there, there's also a link for the T1D Exchange Registry. It supports the channel when you sign up, but not only that, and more importantly, it helps push diabetes research and treatment forward, and sometimes you even get compensated for those surveys. New episodes of this podcast release every Monday, wherever you listen, and on YouTube. There is a link to my YouTube channel and all my social media accounts in today's show notes. I'm Justin, and I'll see you next week.